Welcome back to Some Assembly Required, a bi-weekly design podcast where we will be covering a range of topics from tech, industrial and product design, and sustainability. I'm Pablo Samoilis. And I'm George Wyeth. We're both product designers from the University of Sussex. Welcome to season two. It's been a while, but we're back. This is episode one, A Whole New Normal. A whole new normal. (laughs) Last season, we discussed topics from minimalism and urban greening to data privacy and space technology. Be sure to check out any of those that take your fancy after this. So as we said, today we're going to be welcoming ourselves back to season two of the show. It is currently October. The pandemic has continued, so we're not in person. No, still not in person, but we've upgraded. We really wanted to be back in a studio together, and we will probably be able to, give or take a couple of weeks. Hopefully. But otherwise, George has upgraded his microphone. Hopefully we both sound beautiful, but we're still at home doing this virtually. So there's a bit of a mess to it. Yeah, we're, we're doing our best, but uh, I think we've got a bit of a better hold on it this time. So it should be, should be good. It should, absolutely. So this episode, A Whole New Normal, we're going to be talking about the pandemic and about how it has interacted with and affected all sorts of aspects of design and basically our lives in the last few months. We're pretty late to it. I think everyone else who has some kind of design show probably did this in April. Yeah. We just wanted to, you know, let let other people discuss it first and, you know, get a better idea of how things go. We're going to try and talk about a little bit more about how it's going to affect the future as well. Yes, I think that'll be our focus. And also, honestly, there was so much pandemic content back then. We've given it a break. We've given you other things to enjoy. And now we're going to get a little serious and be like, hey, this is some implications. Yeah, we tried to avoid focusing on it too much because it'll be a bit depressing. So we're going to try and keep it a bit more positive and light. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, we, can't, we couldn't avoid it for that long. It's still going on. I saw something on Twitter this morning, actually, that was basically saying in you know some number of years' time, in the 2050s, there'll be people doing PhDs, but instead of specifying on a decade or a century of history, it'll be, my expertise runs from October 1st to midday October 2nd of 2020. <laughs> because of the amount of shit we've had to see. Yeah, I, I, I do feel for the, uh, the kids in future history classes having to learn about the year 2020. Yes. I mean, I suppose at least in their history exams, when they have to remember dates, they've only got to remember one year. Yeah, no, that does make things easy. So to begin, I think the most integral part of this whole pandemic and something that has been in the news constantly has been face masks. Yeah, and especially especially for us Western cultures and countries, that's something that's completely alien to us before. And we're, you know, having to adopt it because they work. Yeah, so obviously all across East Asia, wearing a face mask when you are sick to protect others is absolutely something that's been a part of culture, kind of since SARS and MERS that have both affected those areas a lot worse than they ever hit any of the West. Yet, for some reason, we can't get over the idea of doing something that's selfless. Yeah, it's a it's a weird one, isn't it? Where the Western, Western world seems to be a bit more tough on doing something for other people than other cultures but we get we're, we're trying to get through it yeah and there's plenty of good people out there that are it can get a bit depressing yeah so do you think that the wearing of a face mask when you're ill in other words to protect others whenever you share air with random people do you think that's going to last i do think it will i think obviously the people that are being very reluctant to wear them right now it's not going to last on them but i think quite a lot of the population because we now have to wear like i've got I think I've got seven or eight like reusable face masks now. Why do you have that many? <laughs> well, it's because it's easier to then just, you know, 
wear one for the day and then just throw it in the wash and not have to worry about it getting background too quickly. I think I have three, maybe four. Yeah. Well, it was also, I, I did buy about three more when the UK government announced that even shop staff and stuff like that had to wear them. Where I work, it means I have to wear one. So I just wanted more to make sure I'm covered. But no, I think just because a lot of us now have all these face masks, we're not going to get rid of them. They're just going to be sitting in our drawers, probably, you know, next to our pants and socks. Yeah. At least that's where mine are. Yeah, I think I'll keep wearing mine for sure. Like any aeroplane travel, that's absolute going to be a place where I'll wear one. Yeah. I don't think wearing them going shopping is going to be something that persists. Possibly, yeah. Public transport, I think, is probably going to be the big one. I, I'd say, you know, if I went up to London, went on the tube, I'd probably put one on. Yeah. Because I don't like the tubes anyway. You know, you look down the platform and you just see all the sort of smog and you just think, oh, I'm breathing that in. So absolutely. And now I've got them, I'd probably wear them to go up to London. So obviously, yeah, for public transport, protecting yourself from others. But I think also when people are ill, hopefully it's just going to be an automatic response of, I'm just going to wear this. Yeah. And I think a lot of, especially there's going to be so much more awareness now of how these things spread. Like it, just the common cold sort of thing, you know, how it spreads and how easily it can spread from your particulates and stuff like that. Yeah. I think there's going to be a playing in a lot of people's minds, at least for quite a long time lingering after this, that if I'm not feeling so good, I could be infecting these people quite easily. So, and they now now know how to avoid it sort of, because as I said, in the Western culture, we didn't, it wasn't something that we thought about, so... Mm. And I think it's interesting, especially since in the last couple of weeks, at least of as of recording this, there have been some studies that are starting to suggest the long-term effects of wearing face masks actually provide a similar level of kind of herd immunity as you would get from mass vaccine adoption. Now, obviously, there's not a lot of stats behind this yet, but it's an interesting idea that we would be able to combat future diseases of this type simply by universal mask wearing, especially when creating vaccines and antidotes is becoming more and more difficult because of viruses that mutate. Yeah. And that's the thing, I suppose, at the start of this pandemic, you know, especially in the UK, we had a bit of a struggle with mask and PPE shortages. And a lot of us, you know, looking back on it, but like, oh, well, the public should have been wearing masks as soon as all this started breaking out. But you can sort of see why they couldn't because they didn't have the masks to give it, be giving out to the public and the health workers needed them more. So they didn't. But in future, now that there's, I guess there is more masks around, I don't, whether that will linger, I'm sure the amount of masks will disappear down again after the pandemic once it's all passed. But, you know, if, if another thing like this does arise, is it going to be easier and quicker for a quick reactive but just go, you've got to wear masks? Yeah, I think places like Tesco's and WH Smith and Boots are probably always going to keep selling them, even though previously none of them did. But you're right, they're not going to be as everywhere as they are now. But, you know, similarly, I think that was a kind of failing on the government's part, was saying early on, you don't need to wear them. Their reasoning was to protect health workers and make sure they have the supplies they need. But it also really quickly fed the conspiracy of masks are only necessary now for some reason. Yeah, I guess that was just a communication you sort of... Yeah, error on their part, wasn't it? Absolutely. But from a design perspective, uh, I've seen some very cool mask designs come out. Obviously, there are the basic disposable surgical ones, then there are ones that are much more kind of fitting to the face, different designs for having filters you can take out and wash, designs for working with glasses, let alone the masks that are now having like little clear boxes so that you can lip read if you're someone who has an audio impairment. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I've had a few times where I work, I'm accepting general public into somewhere. Yeah, I've had quite a few instances there of people come in that are deaf, 
that I've, you know, just typed messages to my phone on my phone to, or people mm. that are harder of hearing and need to lip read. And they just say, sorry, can you move that so I can see your lips? And it's, yes, it, it is an interesting one. I find the the clear thing just out of a, as a visual thing, it looks quite weird. It looks really funny. It makes sense. Yeah, it, it does make sense. I think, you know, I think it'll linger on a little bit. I, I the, the masks have almost come a bit of a fashion thing as well. I mean... Oh yeah, there's a style to it. I mean, I've ordered one. It is bright, kind of like orangey coral color, which is a very, you know, it's like a fun color and it's not usually what I'd wear, but hey, why not? It's a statement thing, isn't it? It's a, yeah, exactly. Some of the ones that I've got, I mean, my mum actually ordered a sort of bulk lot of them, mostly for my dad because he needs stuff for work. And it's the same company that he gets most of his shirts from. Hmm. So obviously this company are doing them so they're sort of matching materials to the shirts. So this is for more sort of business sort of stuff. But, you know, you can have a face mask which matches a shirt. And I'm sure there's probably Thai companies that are doing the same thing. Oh, so you absolutely. could have a tie and have the mask to match. And, you know. There's a, there's a whole fashion to it. And a lot of small businesses and kind of local fashion artists have gone into the mask market very quickly. But going on to other things that we'd like to stick around in this pandemic, I think this is a natural segue to working from home. Yeah, working from home. It's an interesting one. What are your feelings on it then? Do you do you like working? So I've been working from home, or at least working not from office, since I've started university, because I'm obviously at Sussex, and my job is based in Oxford. Now, I would go back and go into the office once or so a month, but otherwise, I've been doing this for a while, and there are upsides, there are downsides. I find the you have to put so much more effort into communication in order for it to be successful. And I often very much struggle with that. But other things like being able to just be in your pajamas and have some food out while you're doing your thing and have your own kind of comfort home setup. Like I quite enjoy the desk design I have going and I don't have anything like that in an office where I work. Yeah, and I think that, yeah, those are fairly valid points. I like, I do like some of those elements of it, you know, just being able to, I mean, obviously the work I've been doing other than when I was working on my sort of dissertation stuff, I've not been doing so much, you know, typical sort of work from home where it's actually employed sort of thing. But just trying to motivate myself to do my own thing. I mean, I, I've i never particularly liked working from home, even when I was at uni. I generally go into campus to work because I'm just, mm. I just struggle to motivate myself. So there's part of me that's a little bit like, oh, no, no, no. I hope I don't, I hope we don't move too far to the point where I, when I'm going into industries, it's all just working from home. Yeah. I mean, I think the motivation is a big one. That's something that I really struggle with a lot is I can't motivate myself. And it's a downside to what are other upsides. I think the big thing really is you just have to find a balance. And I think what we'll end up going back to is a situation where people go in person for meetings, people go in person for project work, but little individual things, you know, you might end up going in only twice or three days a week instead of every day, nine to five. Mm. And I think that's, it's an interesting one. I, you know, I've got a few friends who work up in London or well, one, one guy that I know who's where he worked up in London, big office sort of thing. And they were planning on, you know, buying a new office for more space and stuff like that before the pandemic hit. And now since, since this has happened and they've realized that they can work perfectly effectively from home, they've realized they don't need to do that sort of upgrade anymore. Mm. They can just sort of work with what they've got and yeah, have a more of a staggered sort of approach when you're not in every day, you'd be in a few days sort of thing. And, you know, I, I think it's an interesting one and it could certainly bring benefits to, you know, the sort of more mental side of busy work. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's a interesting thing to analyze is 
a lot of businesses, tech companies in particular, have focused the last couple of decades on having one big central office building, campus, whatever it is, where everyone goes. And I think in a way, this might trigger a more decentralized approach where you have different teams in smaller office groups spread out either across a country, across the globe, across a city. So maybe, yes, you do go into an office, but you're only interacting with 30 people as opposed to a campus of 10,000. Mm. And that could bring bring a lot of benefits for, I mean, this is another one of the things I heard about with London, you know, if people that live outside of London have to commute five days a week into London, you know, that's expensive as a lot of, it's quite busy. So oftentimes they end up moving to London where it is more expensive to live and all that sort of mm. things. Whereas this opens up the possibilities for them to live further afield, um, sort of more where they want to live, maybe where their family are or something like that, and still be going into London because it's only commuting one or two days a week. So while there is all of that, of course, there's still the caveat of the fact is not everyone has the ability to have their own home office. They don't necessarily suddenly need to be paying higher Wi-Fi bills, higher electricity bills. And I think where we've really seen this in the last few months is students in school who are now going kind of onto a Zoom style, not even university, this is, you know, high school, primary school, and various things have come up. I don't know if you've seen any on social media or being shared. I think I've seen a little bit, yeah, of what you mean. So it's... The difficulty here is obviously the people that are already more disadvantaged backgrounds are being more disadvantaged, especially yeah, as school kids over the summer, you know, people whose parents, they only have like one computer or something like that. And their parents needed to work from home mm. to make the, make the living. The kids then couldn't log into their sort of online school sessions, which then meant they were losing out on education. I, I don't know how it'd be solved. You know, you, this is why you've got to have in-person stuff back, I suppose. Yeah, and a lot of what I was seeing was really things like kids being made to ask to go to their own bathroom, or kids getting in trouble for not wearing a uniform while sitting in their bedroom, or kids getting in <laughs> trouble because like there's a dog behind them and it's distracting to other students, but you know, maybe they don't have another room where the dog can go. So many questions and so many kind of just like messed up elements of control. I did see as a kind of yeah. response to that, I believe it was a German or Swiss company that had started paying rent to their employees for the amount of space used as an office in their home. Well, that's, yeah, that's clever. I mean, that's, it's an interesting sort of substitute, you know, if people, if, if this was being more long-term, is it something that, you know, because quite a lot of companies would sort of allocate travel expenses. Yeah. You know, if they're not allocating travel expenses because people are working from home, are they allocating any form of home working environment improvements? Yeah, and I think they, in ultimately, they should. Yeah, this is so. This was something I just kind of wanted to pose it as a question, and I do have some thoughts on it. Is yeah, is the idea of has this restored any f form of work life balance? Because obviously, I neither of us were really in the working world no. before this properly hit to, to to get a personal view on it. But you did see quite a lot of people go to work, they come home, have dinner, go to bed, get up and go to work again, sort of thing. And there's a lot of, you know, burnout and sort of crunch in sort of a lot of these offices and projects sort of work being worked extremely hard. And so quite a lot of these people have had not time off, but time to sort of spend more to themselves mm. um, during this pandemic. And obviously, you know, commuting is one thing, you know, if people spend an hour commuting there and then an hour commuting back every day, that's two hours that they were losing out on that day that from working at home, they now have to themselves. So maybe in that two hours, they can do what they would normally do, looking after the kids and doing some other things, doing some cooking. Obviously, neither, neither of us have firsthand experience of this, but 
it's definitely taking out the commuting time, taking out all of those extras that come with going into and from a job has probably made a pretty big difference. Yeah, I I feel like it's got to have done. It certainly holds the possibilities that maybe people will have realised that actually it's quite nice to be able to have that more more of that time. And maybe it'd be interesting to see if there are any stats on it that come out in the future of any sort of productivity increases in the time that people are actually working. Absolutely. But in the time that they aren't, and I'm sure this is absolutely true for me and definitely for you, there's been a lot more social media use. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you been looking at the screen time that comes up on your phone and feeling depressed about it? I have been. It tells me, I think it's normally Monday mornings, it tells me. Actually, I'll grab my phone and I'll see. I'll I'll, I'll tell you what my screen time is. Yeah, I'm just opening mine now. So in the past week, my daily average has been seven hours. Oh, that's bad. I think that's worse than mine, actually. Oh, it's bad. That that's that is combined my iPad and my phone, though. But that's that's really bad. Okay, yeah. So my average screen time in the last week on my phone has been four hours and three minutes. Okay, you're doing a lot better than I am. <laughs> but uh, I will add the caveat of I do spend more time at my computer playing video games, going on social media on there. So it's not 100% accurate. Um, I will watch YouTube on my laptop, which, you know, would add up as well. But yeah, so I think a lot of people have been using a lot more social media. But as, you know, as I've kind of put in our little notes bit here, I feel like it's a bit of a double-edged sword because actually when we're all apart, you know, you can't go and see your friends and your family. It's been pretty important for that social connection. absolutely. I think we would have been in a much worse place had we been unable to communicate the way we have, given the fact that in-person socialising is dead. Especially for people that are living in, like, apartments on their own, you know. Or people who are shielding for health conditions. Yeah, I think there's an element of people have had to turn to social media just to get that human connection, even if it's a slightly twisted human connection, as we've discussed on another episode before about social media. Oh yeah, that was that was quite a kind of in-depth look into all of the damage it can do. <laughs> There's a Netflix documentary that's come out recently, I think. I have not watched it yet, but I think it's uh, discussing quite a lot of that stuff as well. But then, as I said, double-edged sword, the other side of it is you're on your own at home, you've not got your boss or other work colleagues or just people so much as to uh, to judge you for sitting there on your phone for hours. So is it easy, even easier to do? Oh, absolutely. It's easy to kind of just, I mean, again, look at me. I spend way too long on my phone and I could be doing other things. I just don't. And it's it's one of those classic situations where I've got a list on my phone of video games that I'd like to get through and play that I already have. It's not a case of I need to buy them. I have them. But for some reason, instead, I watch YouTube, right? Or like there's a show on Netflix that is really good that I've been meaning to finish. But instead, I scroll Instagram. I am fully like that as well. I have video games I want to play through. I have books I want to read. I have, yeah, Netflix shows and movies that I want to watch. And I don't get around to doing it because I spent way too much of my day just procrastinating doing the actual productive things I need to be doing by being on social media. And The thing that gets me is it's procrastinating procrastination, right? Like at the end of the day, video games, Netflix is all procrastination from like working on some personal improvement project or cooking an elaborate meal. But I procrastinate my procrastination by further procrastination. (laughs) And the further procrastination is always going to be more detrimental than binging six episodes of a Netflix show. Yep. I do the exact same thing. You you couldn't have put it better. Yeah. (laughs) 
Oh, it really gets to me. But there has been a study that came up. It's from Science Daily, was published September 29th. So that's just a few years ago. And they've linked social media overuse with depression. Now, that's been something we've been aware of for a while. But the secondary aspect is the fact that it's been linked to secondary trauma related to COVID-19. So this is essentially saying that if you keep checking social media for health updates, who's died, whatever's going on, is there a lockdown, what are the new rules, who can and can't you see, basically that constant updating makes us relive any bad experiences we've had through the pandemic. So if you've lost a loved one, or if you've had to miss a big family event, or whatever it is, you're reliving that pain because of the increased use of social media because we want to be aware of what the hell's going on around us. Yeah, it's it's it has been really tricky. I think, you know, for a, we've had this discussion with my family quite a few times about, you know, how how up to date do you need to be on this sort of stuff? Because obviously none of us want to just shut it off because this is important. This is stuff that we do need to know about and keep keep aware of. Oh, absolutely. But if you keep on watching it all the time, it's it can really get to you. <laughs> It can. And I think it's, it's, you, I mean, you need to know what's going on, but also you need to be so careful. And there's, there's no good answer to it. I think it's just worth mentioning that they refer to it as secondary trauma, but they do also mention that it's always like low level. So it's not at all compared to any other trauma people might have experienced, but it's still an effect of overuse of social media within a pandemic. Yeah. I suppose it's just sort of a lower end on, on the same spectrum, I suppose. Exactly. I mean, it is, it is tricky. You know, some of the pictures you see are quite shocking. Especially, I, more so I'd say at the start, maybe I've just become desensitized to it now from, from that sort of things. But when you saw pictures of, I remember when it was all hitting in, uh, in Italy, you know, you'd see these pictures of hospital wards overflowing people in, you know, these full PPE suits sort of things. And it just, it, it is scary to see. It is terrifying. And I I can attest to my own experiences that when there's something personal to it, you know, I, I 2020 has been a terrible year. Personally, it's also been a terrible year. And the combination of those two doesn't hit well. So I can absolutely see what they're getting at. And I also am very aware of the fact that I'm definitely making it worse for myself. But hey. Yeah, I absolutely. I think, you know, there's there's some age groups as well that you think, you know, has it has it affected their development a bit, you know? kids that are just hitting certain sort of milestones i suppose in their in their lives has it affected their social capabilities so we've gone down a bit of a rabbit hole there into some negativity we did try and promise we wouldn't do that so i guess a good way to kind of close this out and conclude is do you think the world's going to be a better place after this do you think that overall the impact and changes are going to improve things obviously we've got it from the work side we've got it from the social side what are your thoughts? I hope this isn't just optimism, but I think that, you know, this has shown the world over how important it is to be, to look after each other, to care for each other, to care for the environment, because obviously there's, you know, this came from nature. Yeah. We don't quite know where yet from, but pretty sure it seems to be sort of the provinces of China somewhere. It's where it originated. And that is, this has been caused by our sort of, us stretching too far into nature's domain, I suppose. So, you know, I do feel slightly positive in the sense that it has shown a lot of the world, a lot of hopefully our leaders, our future leaders, that collaboration, caring for one another is 
the best way to get through these sort of tougher times and tougher challenges. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's also just the fact that so much of industry has had to cut down has showed us that, that there is a tangible goal in sight. You know, we saw some amazing environmental kind of miracles in the beginning of this pandemic as everyone suddenly went inside and things closed up. And I think that gave people a very real there is a possible solution as opposed to living in this idea of, oh, everything's doom and nothing will ever succeed because, you know, we've seen tangible proof that climate change could be stopped, basically. Yeah. And the sort of just, you know, biodiversity sort of stuff. It's That was one of my favorite things at the start, actually, is it, it really showed how quickly like nature, I suppose, can bounce back in a way. Mm. You know, I remember, I remember pictures of... Um, venice and how the water was finally clear yeah after so long you know i I, i'd been to venice a couple years ago and yeah the water was did not look nice in the canals looked a little bit better when you got to the widest wider bits around the edge but it didn't look nice at all but to see these these sort of images of clear water you could actually see to the bottom of some of these canals you could see i I believe they had dolphins and some whales and Mm. some of that that came in around there and that happened so quickly, you know, it was only a few months of reduced traffic and reduced sort of industry in these areas. Yeah, it was a very quick, quick return. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would give hope that uh, a lot of people that maybe couldn't see the light, I suppose, in a way, <laughs> mm. have now been able to see that actually we can make changes and we can get through this in a way that allows nature to bounce back and it can bounce back. Absolutely. I think on the social side, especially with all the big Black Lives Matter protests that have come out and really, really taken a hold of our society, essentially, in a way, this has given people more time to think about that, focus on that. People who usually might not have been activists or might have been fairly apathetic just because they're apolitical will have taken a bigger stance into that. Yeah, I think it became a lot more of a talking point. And I have to say from my own personal experience, you know, I've just grown up, I think we, I can't remember if we've talked about this before, but I've just grown up in a, you know, in a village in Surrey. So, you know, a lot of this stuff wasn't that in the forefront of my mind to me. But yeah, this, this sort of time and, you know, allowing people, giving voices, I suppose, to other pe- different people, because suddenly the world has shifted quite dramatically and other people have been allowed, allowed to speak up. It's definitely empowered a lot of people to make some change. And I think it's optimistic that this will continue, as you said, but could be a big change for the better or could be a spark for a revolution of some description. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be nice to see, wouldn't it? You know, this momentum keep on keep on moving. Yeah. I suppose we also we saw that we can all get behind fighting an enemy of a virus version. So we can all also get behind fighting an enemy of sort of racism or social issue. Exactly. I think climate justice and social justice, you know, they're so intertwined and the success of both of them could be very close. And I think everyone's focus and refocus over the last few months has really pushed to that. Yeah, it's hopefully we'll keep the momentum going in the world. Yeah, it's it sheds some light on some different different areas of society. Obviously, we've had a bit of a renewed focus and importance on the essential frontline workers, which were overlooked in the past by uh well, by everyone <laughs> yeah by everyone you know to suddenly go from the big businesses needing to be protected to suddenly like actually the the shop staff the doctors the nurses the public transport drivers 
you know, those are the essential ones that keep our society running. And hopefully that sticks around. Hopefully people see the importance of individuals who give up a lot of time to keep aspects of society that we take for granted running. Yeah, you'd hope so. And we hope that maybe uh, in some future votes that some of those sort of things will sway people. I hope so. Well, there's a beacon of hope, a little bit of optimism to end this episode where we've really covered kind of how the pandemic has affected us, touched on design a little bit. We're going to be back at it in a couple of weeks and we've got lots of stuff planned this season. We're going to try to bring in some guests, but obviously there's so much we have to figure out for that to be possible and safe. Yeah, our intention was always guests, possibly last season, uh, definitely this season, but obviously we've had to put it on hold a little bit as we try and work out how we can do it safely and well i suppose absolutely so make sure to subscribe to the podcast on apple podcasts or spotify so that you never miss an episode if you've enjoyed this episode please please share it tell everyone about the season with your friends with your family with your co-workers and if you're in australia tell your wombats love a wombat unlike videos and blogs or the band tell, oh, the, band. tell the band exactly very much podcasts don't have an algorithm for recommendations so we rely on your word of mouth we rely on you telling everyone about our show Yep, so please follow us on our Instagram at assemble.it for a deeper look into the show and our own work. Uh, hopefully we're going to get a bit more stuff up on there this this season. Uh, behind the scenes, outtakes, you know, projects, updates, all that sort of stuff, and obviously new episode. Yeah, definitely give us a follow on Instagram. We're going to be doing lots more there, hopefully. Once more, remember to subscribe to the podcast, share it with everyone, give it to your wombat, and give it to the wombats. We'll see you in two weeks with our next episode. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Some Assembly Required is co-hosted and produced by Pablo Samoyles and George Wyeth and edited by Pablo Samoyles. Music is by Mikey Burtwistle. This is a 7-6 Productions podcast.